at the end of the day, regulation has brought all these operators to the table. I don't think that there's any more instances of nefarious activity or illicit activity in sports and sports betting than there was 30 years ago or even 10 years ago prior to the repeal of PASPA. But the problem was we weren't getting the transparency, cooperation and collaboration that we do now. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Gaming News Canada Show presented by Osler, Hoskin, and Hartford LLP. I'm your host, Steve McAllister. We're saying goodbye to an insanely busy November, and we wonder if things are going to slow down in the final month of 2023, although we have our doubts right now. We're going to find out over the next hour as we're joined by regular contributors Amanda Burr, Chris Abbott, who's back from some well-deserved R&R, Phil Gray, Mark Silver, and Mike Day. Uh, but first, we've been trying to get this gentleman to appear on the show for months now, but his uh, very, very busy schedule has made that a, a difficult task. However, as we say, better late than never. So we're really, uh, really pleased today to be joined by Matthew Holt, the co-founder and chief executive officer of the U.S. Integrity. Matt, thanks so much for being with us. Yeah, Steve, thanks a lot for having me. Really appreciate it. And there are a lot of reasons why we wanted to get you joining us here, but one of the reasons we wanted to get you today was the announcement last week on LinkedIn by Sebastian Yedryeski that he was leaving the Alcohol and Gaming Commission of Ontario to, to join you in U.S. Integrity as the Director of Regulatory Affairs. Um, if you read this morning's newsletter, we did, we did have a Q&A with Sebastian, but we also wanted to chat with him further as well today, too. So uh, greetings to you as well, Sebastian. Pleasure to be on, Steve. Hey Matt, let's let's just start with the Sebastian hire. And, and again, I think one of the reasons why why we wanted to connect with you is that the U.S. Integrity is obviously doing a lot of work. We we kind of joke in the newsletter every week in the "Let's Get Together" section. It seems like every week there's a you have a new client, but uh, we've been wondering about uh, when you might be taking more active interest in Ontario and probably. Uh, the rest of Canada down the road. Is the hiring Sebastian kind of uh, is that a step in that direction? Yeah, it certainly is. And, and we've been working with licensed sportsbook operators in Ontario since the jurisdiction opened. And uh, it's just gotten so busy. At this point, we work with almost every major professional and collegiate sports leagues, the vast majority of operators in North America. Uh, and we're, we're licensed in 40 states, as well as Ontario and Puerto Rico. And we recently started ex uh, the expansion process into some Latin American markets and some European and Asian jurisdictions as well. And uh, it, I think it's really important that at the end of the day, gaming still a smaller industry that people realize and relationships are important. Uh, the, the services that are provided are nuanced. The, the regulations in all these jurisdictions are nuanced and individualized and unique. And thus, I think it really is important to have domain experts from those jurisdictions that not only have the boots on the ground relationships, but a true sound understanding of what the regulations are in those jurisdictions, how they affect operators. And we couldn't be more excited to add Sebastian to the team and what it means for not only our expansion in Ontario, um, but as we continue to roll products and services out across Canada and abroad all over the world. And I think you know, we're hoping Sebastian's just not a boots on the ground guy in Canada, but can help us continue our growth cycle all over the globe. Hey, Sebastian, we, we talked a bit about that uh, in the Q&A as well, is that you're you're looking forward to not just working here in Ontario and across the country, but also the opportunity to work across different jurisdictions. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think you look at the progress that might be made in BC, uh, Alberta and Quebec and every other province and territory that might come through under the sun. It, it's it's very exciting moment to watch things develop here in Canada. And it's definitely a great opportunity. And I think speaking to what Matt said earlier, that domain expertise is, is so vital when you when you deal with a jurisdiction that has a standards-based kind of system like Ontario does. I think everybody here knows, maybe Amanda better than, and Chris as well, actually better than most, that we have a, a system in Ontario that, that really leaves a lot open for interpretation. And, and I'm looking forward to working with operators, especially with the Ozark compliance merger, provide an enhancement to the services we're already providing to these operators here in Ontario. And also I'm looking forward to providing emails and inputs that that aren't just language that says the AGCO does not approve, but some some pretty <laughs> decent risk analysis and, and advice that we can provide here. I think it, it's gonna be a very exciting time over the next six to 12 months in, in Canada. And I'm looking forward to working with everybody as we get forward. Hey Matt, you and I, you and I spoke back in the summer of 2021 and, and uh, back when I was writing a, a weekly column for the Toronto Star, and I, I reached out to you at that time around uh, Evander Kane being in some trouble with the NHL around around gambling and some accusations by his by his ex-wife, and um, you know the company your company was busy at that point, but not nearly to the extent it's been today. Like it, you know, it's funny I went to your clients page yesterday, and you, and you look at the uh, just a long list of clients you have now, like five or six major professional sport leagues, and. As you mentioned at the top of the segment, uh, the, the different NCAA conferences that you're working with. Um, obviously, this summer the the announcement that you were uh, you were getting together with odds on compliance with with the ProBet product. I mean, how much has the business evolved over the past two plus years? Yeah, amazing. At this point, I think we work with basically every major collegiate and professional sports league in in North America. Basically, now NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL you know, PGA, UFC, all 10 uh, Division One collegiate football conferences. So the, the expansion's been amazing for us. We're so excited about our corporate growth. Uh, but the ProAbet product that you brought up, I think, is more relevant than ever. We saw what happened at Iowa and Iowa State with over 100 student-athletes there um, hit with some type of prohibited better violations as well as all, all the NFL suspensions this year. We just had a couple of NBA G League suspensions. Basically, nobody's immune to the prohibited better, but there's never really been a practical solution to the prohibited better problem, despite the fact that it existed in the regs all the way back to 2018, following the repeal of PASPA, New Jersey and other states. And like most states had prohibited better language, which basically states if you play coach or officiate or are a person of influence over in a sporting event, you cannot wager on that same sporting event, which is a really good rule and, and understandably why it's in place. But there really never was a practical solution and all the onus fell on the operators. Well, how does an operator know that Steve McAllister is a hockey player or Steve McAllister is a baseball player? Or an, or an equipment manager or a trainer or a referee. It's really challenging. But at the end of the day, we also can't expect these professional and collegiate sports leagues to just hand over the social security number, address, cell phone number of, you know, of Aaron Rodgers or something. So at the end of the day, it was really important that we built a, an extremely secure encrypted technology so that basically we can put an app on the servers of all of these professional and collegiate sports leagues 
they upload their own list. It remains on their server. It, it never leaves their server unencrypted. Nobody sees the PII, not us, not the operators. And we can do the same thing on the operator side. And then suddenly we're able to identify in real time if a better who is on that prohibited better list, you know, a football player tries to bet football, it tells him you cannot place this wager, you're prohibited from doing so. And then uh, in real time sends a notification to the league and to the operator. And I think this is, you know, as relevant as a product as we've seen in the industry. Hey, Matt, to my, my earlier point about, about the litany of partnership deals that the company has done, I mean, what... What's your day to day look like now? Is it is are you spending the bulk of your time speaking to you know current and potential potential clients? I mean, just how how has your position changed since you founded the company? Yeah, and at this point, because at least in in North America, we have so many of the clients onboarding. What we're trying to do is figure out their pain points constantly. What's still keeping them up at night? What what are they nervous that's coming on the horizon? So we continue to build products and services that are preventative of those issues that are keeping these folks up at night. You know, I'll be Atlanta in Atlanta this weekend for the SEC championship game. I always try to get a lot of feedback from those, you know, preeminent and dominant collegiate sports leagues because their fears and their issues are very different in many cases than the professional leagues. And um, so right now it, it's a lot of making sure that we're building the right products and services to not only deal with the issues of today, but to deal with the issues of tomorrow that are keeping these folks up at night. I guess the other question I have, Matt, is just on the education piece. I mean, we we heard uh, Jeremy Luke from the Canadian Center for Ethics and Sports on a on a webcast last week talk about uh, the CCES's role in, in educating athletes. And is, is that a piece of what U.S. Integrity offers as well? And, and again, I think this is obviously something that's been talked about a lot in the in collegiate sports in the U.S. about the need to educate athletes about what about gambling and, and sports betting and, and what what they can and can't bet on. It's a huge part of what we do at U.S. Integrity. We actually provide both on-site education presentations as well as an uh, online mobile education curriculum for colleges all across North America. It, it starts with education, both at the professional and collegiate level. How can we expect any athlete to adhere to any rules if they don't understand the rules? You know, at US Integrity, we try to bundle up a wide variety of services. It includes game integrity, monitoring, advisory, consultative services, but education is always the most important. Uh, when we go and sell bundles of services to each and every one of these collegiate conferences and individual universities, we always say that um, if you're going to pass on the a la carte menu on anything, don't make it education. It is so important. It should always be front and center. And, and it's the best defense you have. If you're looking for something that's a deterrent for your student athletes to avoid some of these pitfalls we've seen folks getting into, education really is is the start and, and a big key. And and we've already seen a, a lot of positive results coming out of education this year. Two years ago, I think we only did 15 on-site education presentations. In 2023, we did over 80. So we were on 80 different campuses this year speaking to student athletes uh, in, in a wide variety of sports. And it, it was amazing. Um, you know, they don't understand the rules. It's so hard for any of us in regulated gaming to to understand the different regulations and laws in over 40 different jurisdictions in North America. 
how could we expect a student athlete to understand them all? So, you know, is betting against the law for them or is it just a reg violation? And so we really want to make them aware of what sports betting means to them, what some of the pitfalls are. And we, you know, luckily because of all of the issues we deal with at U.S. Integrity on the integrity monitoring side, we're uh, always able to bring really fresh, recent, relevant case studies to them of, yeah, not what happened in 1994 to somebody and you should avoid this, but what's happened in the past year to people that could have been your teammates or are playing in the same sports as you or participating in the same leagues or conferences as you, what pitfalls did they step into? How can those be avoided in the future? And what are the important things they should be aware of? Hey, Matt, when, when the company does these education uh, programs with, with athletes and other, other support staff, like are, are there common questions or comments that, that you're, you're hearing in those, in those um, sessions? Yeah, number one is what are they really prohibited to bet from? And again, in each jurisdiction is a little bit different in understanding um, who is a prohibited better. Obviously, it's easy for a college basketball player to know that he shouldn't bet on college basketball, but can he bet on the other sports on his campus? And that's different on a state-by-state -state basis. And the NCA rules are sometimes different than the state regulations and laws, and that's important to know as well. While the NCAA may say, okay, this is only going to come with a penalty of X, for example, in a jurisdiction like Colorado, placing a wager on your event may also come with a criminal prosecution. So trying to educate them on what's a criminal part of it, what's the state, you know, or jurisdictional regulation part of it, what's an NCAA violation, what does it mean to them? Uh, I think all of those things are really important. Just uh, last question. I got, got another one for Sebastian, uh, Matt. But I, you know, I would like to ask you: There's so much hand wringing over sports betting right now, and and you know, here in in Canada, there's as, as you probably know, there's been lots of discussion about sports betting, advertising, and and partnership deals. And and again, this week, uh, yesterday, uh, the NHL announced that it had brought uh, Penn Penn Entertainment on board as an official betting partner for both the score bet and and the ESPN bet. And I think some people still don't understand that the, there is, you know, there is a difference between a regulated uh, sports betting and gaming market than, than, a, than a black market. And that sports betting has been here for a long, long time. And it's probably going to be here for a long time after t today. If you don't mind just talking a little bit about just, you know, how, how a regulated, uh, a regulated environment can, can help the kind of situations that U.S. integrity is dealing with? Oh, the regulated environment is so important, Steve, at the end of the day. I don't think that there's any more instances of nefarious activity or illicit activity in sports and sports betting than there was 30 years ago or even 10 years ago prior to the uh, repeal of PASPA. But the problem was we weren't getting the transparency cooperation and collaboration that we do now. At the end of the day, regulation has brought all these operators to the table. In many cases, they're mandated to participate, but I also think most of them do it because they understand that integrity is important. It's important to the longevity of their businesses and of this ecosystem. So at the end of the day, by getting access to data, access to information, building a portal and an ecosystem on our platform, where both the leagues and the college conferences and regulators and operators can all come together 
um, to discuss issues, to figure out how we continue to build the ecosystem in the most responsible way is so important. I always say one of the real successful things we did at US Integrity was listen. Every month we have a regulator roundtable meeting and an operator roundtable meeting. We just had it about an hour ago this month. And it's so important to get feedback from the different stakeholders. What are their pain points? What's happening? Make sure that they're aware of all the issues that are taking place um, that could affect them, that either do affect them or could affect them moving forward. I really think that collaborative efforts and the transparency that we get from a regulated market, the access to information, the access to all the data needed to actually identify these suspicious, abnormal or, or nefarious instances is so important and you don't get any of that in the illicit or black market. Sebastian, when we uh, when we spoke on Monday, you you talked about, you know, you enjoyed your time with the AGCO and and you mentioned uh, specifically pointed out uh, Dave Phelps, Brent McCurdy, and, and Doug Hood as as uh, people there who who were you know who were mentors for you. Um, and you, you mentioned that uh, it, it was it was difficult leaving AGCO. What, what was it that attracted you to, to coming on board U.S. Integrity and working with Matt and the other people there? I think it starts with the the experience I had working with all the Integrity monitors we had at the AGCO, including U.S. Integrity and. When we went through the, the UFC ban experience, US Integrity was such a vital partner and so great to work with and had such a full and wholesome understanding of the industry. It, it, it really made it clear to me that that might be a place that one day I might, I might wanna work at. I, I think for me, when I looked at what US Integrity does, it was just so wholesome. Uh, and with this merger um, with Ozone Compliance and then the launch of ProBet, the, the expertise of everybody on the team, for example, the, the bringing on of Jason Van Hoff from, from the NFL, it, it's, it's such a unique opportunity and place to work at. And it's a place that I think provides the best service you're going to find in the, whole, in the whole industry and a place that really appreciates Ontario as a market, appreciates Canada as a market. And, and I think me being here today speaking to you about that is just proof and, proof and part of that. Nick Solsky, remind me, Matt, that you're you're also a board member of the Fantasy Sports and Gaming Association. I'd forgot about that, and uh, it's probably a good time to, to get Nick Nick in here. And I'm, I'm sure Nick will have uh, glowing things to say about you, Matt. About Matt? Come on now. I think everyone. <laughs> I think your I think your entire audience has just gotten a, a really great um, a really great example of what Matt brings to the table. Hey, Matt, how are you? <laughs> good. How are you, Nick? Good to see you, man. Good to see you too, man. Hey, Nick, just, just uh, you know, again, you probably have had a chance to work a little bit about U.S. integrity as, as well. And um, I know we, on the show so often, we, we, you and Amanda and Phil and, and Chris and I talk about that regulatory piece and its importance. And uh, again, you're someone who's probably seen the work of U.S. integrity at a, at a higher level. And can you just speak to, to the work that, that Matt and his group have done over the last two plus years? Well, I mean, I think more from the macro perspective, when we think about gambling, when we think about iGaming, you know, we, we often talk about innovation and we often talk about new product features and new new types of content, new, uh, you know, payment portals and tools. But ultimately, as we think about the evolution of the iGaming space around the world, um, innovation 
on the regulatory side, in my opinion, is is just as important. And you know, I think that the the, the innovation of U.S. integrity that they've been that they've been driving and, and sparking. Uh, and I think Matt said something that you know I know a lot of us have talked about before is that level of transparency. Um, it it's all to make the nature of iGaming and sports betting safer and more fun for the consumer. And ultimately, there is no sports betting without athletes that are participating in the events that our users are betting on. So it really is such a, you know, an intricate connection between league, operator, athlete, and then regulatory bodies, not just folks like the AGCO where Sebastian came from, but groups like Matt and, and U.S. Integrity who are driving that innovation forward to, to, to better the entire industry. Uh, Matthew Holden is the co-founder and CEO of U.S. Integrity. Sebastian Yed Rezeski is the new director or director of regulatory affairs for U.S. Integrity. Uh, Matt and Sebastian, thanks so much for, for being here this afternoon. I know you guys have to jump. Matt, really appreciate you getting on here finally. And uh, let's not wait so long next time before we, we have you back on the Gaming News Canada show. Absolutely, Steve. Anytime. Happy to be on. And, and thanks for having me. Good to see you, everybody. Thanks. A word from our sponsor. The Gaming News Canada show is presented by Osler, Hoskin & Harcourt, LLP. Osler's gaming practice has the insight needed to help clients navigate the complex and evolving landscape of the gaming industry. Osler's position as a trusted advisor in the gaming industry has been built over years of service to operators, suppliers, and gaming authorities. Visit osler.com slash gaming for more information. That's O-S-L-E-R forward slash gaming. Hey there, sports fans. Are you looking for fresh and fun takes on the hottest topics in Canadian sports? Well, we've got just what you need. Introducing Homestand Sports Today, your go-to daily sports newsletter, bringing you the Canadian angle on the hottest NHL, NBA, footy stories, and more right to your inbox. But wait, there's more. Homestand Sports isn't just another text-heavy newsletter. Every story has its own video featuring our talented hosts like me, Albert Vartanian, giving you a newsletter experience like never before. And did I mention it's a free subscription? Subscribe now at homestand.ca. Now back to the show. Let's uh, let's turn to the, the newsletter. <laughs> An awful lot of news today. And we want to get Amanda Brewer in here because uh, we, led, we led with the uh, announcement uh, during Kindred Group's latest financial results yesterday that it was... Um, it was leaving the Ontario market and was actually getting getting out of the entire North American gambling market. And um, Amanda, I think we had a sense with with the news back in October that you were leaving the company after two years that um, there there was something something af afoot here. But I'm I'm sure you weren't very surprised when the news did finally become official yesterday. Well, it's, it's not the type of news that you want to be right about because, you know, first and foremost, I have a lot of fabulously smart and talented colleagues who are likely very devastated right now. Um, and it's, it's, it's really, you know, tough because this, I don't know, did anyone over at the, you know, executive level look at the calendar and realize that this news is dropping right as we head into the holidays? Perfect timing. 
anyway, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm very sad for them, but you know, as, as you and I were talking, I think what it is, is it's a cautionary tale. You know, you can be a very experienced operator in Europe, but coming across the pond, whether you're in the U S or in Canada, it's a very different playing field here. And, you know, our, our soccer is a ball that you kick on the ground and it's, you know, <laughs> from from something as basic as that we don't need to put ice in front of our hockey because we all call it hockey here but it's also you know the customer is very different um how we engage in online casino products is very different you know wh- what sports means to an ontario operator is very different as well versus their their casino product so i think it's you know unless you're really willing to come in here and hire people on the ground who understand the market understand the customer you're willing to do your homework on the product that will resonate with your customer you're willing to invest you know in having really good tech because if your platform doesn't work and your payments don't work you don't have the right product mix for your customer then you might as well just not bother coming in so you really need to come over here and, and, you know, I've said, you got to fund it. It's the people, it's the resources, it's the services and the products you're going to provide. Um, you really need to be able to, 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 you know, commit to that. And it's not about signing multi-million dollar, you know, high level flashy partnerships with MLSE or any of the rest of them. That's, that's really not required. Um, but the rest of that is just, you know, what I was talking about was kind of just the table stakes stuff. So, you know, my heart goes out to my colleagues. Um, you know, I know there's going to be a kind of managed exit. Um, there are different departure dates depending on what your role is. So some people will be leaving January, some in April, some in June of next year. Um, but I think, you know, everyone came in to be the, their roles with the best of intentions and the greatest of hopes. And certainly there was a lot of excitement because they just launched their two proprietary platforms this summer in New Jersey and Pennsylvania. So yeah, it's, it's certainly not something that I'm happy that I was, I was right about Steve. Yeah. And as we reported, Amanda, in the newsletter, there are 300, um, employees and cons- consultants who will, will be let go between now and I, I guess the end of. 2024. So you're absolutely right about that. Um, Chris Abbott, I, I wonder if you had the same experience as Amanda, given that you, you know, you worked uh, with Kays and Gaming, which is another European operator. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the things Amanda said can be um, attributed to many of the companies that are trying to bring their product that's been successful in European markets um, to Canada and North America. It's a uh, First of all, your brand means nothing when you when you show up here. So that's that's the first thing that I think um, operators are a little taken aback by. Um, you know, whether it be Unibet or Botano or whomever, even Bet three six five in the United States, like <laughs> they're one of the biggest companies in the world, but people there don't know them. They know DraftKings, they know FanDuel, they know NGM. So it's it's um it's a huge investment. And I think what you're seeing now is companies are making the decision to um okay are we going to push forward with this or are we going to pull back and given that there's there's some real economic challenges globally not just in our industry but but all together right now um there may be maybe more than one or two operators that hit pause on on what they're doing um just anecdotally from from kind of the tv and media that i've been consuming over the last few weeks um i to me, it seems like there's a, a dip in the amount of gaming advertising that I'm seeing. It does seem to me that the American operators are grabbing more of the spotlight and maybe quicker than than some people would have expected. 
And, and Phil Gray, I mean, you, you have some experience with this story as well, right? I mean, you you worked for a company, Sports Interaction, that got purchased by Entain, uh, I guess, almost two two years ago now. So you, uh, I'm sure, I'm sure you've shared the same experiences that Amanda and Chris have passed along. Oh yeah, absolutely, Steve. And you know, I mean, when we were acquired, um, you know, some of the projected numbers and market share that uh, you know the the exco at uh, you know the the company that acquired us were projecting were uh, you know <laughs> unrealistic to say to say the least. Um, you know, even even with an established brand that I was with, I mean, uh, you're, you're you're coming in competing against companies. You know, look at DraftKings. I mean. We'll, we'll say it out loud. I mean, they're still running in the red. I mean, you know, to, to a quarter of a billion dollars. Um, they're willing to spend a lot of money. And is it very interesting, Steve, uh, as a mirror to all this, I was sitting in on the Gaming America podcast yesterday, listening to um, the, the expansion into Latin America right now, Brazil um, specifically. Uh, the big companies are going in there. They're, they're chomping at the bit to get into there. And the kind of you know, um, obstacles that they're going to face there are the same things here in North America and probably exponentially more given the fraud and security risks in that part of the world. Um, you're dealing with a huge population, many different languages, many different cultures. And as Amanda was saying, you know, a, a much different customer base. I think you're going to see the same thing there. And companies, you know, are, are investing absolutely massive amounts into into that market. And there's a lot of pitfalls. And there's there's very few uh, in the industry that I was hearing yesterday, you know, kind of being naysayers, you know, hold, let, you know let's hold back and, and look at this. Everybody's uh, going to go in full bore like they have in North America. And uh, as we've seen, you know, I think the, the field will uh, will narrow here in the next couple of years. It's interesting, Amanda. You know, on one hand, we talk about, uh, we talk about that there probably will be um, uh, a day of reckoning and there will be other operators who'll probably pull out of Ontario between now and, and I guess the, uh, what, the second anniversary in, in April, 2024. But we, at the same time, we always talk about this being the early days of a regulated, regulated industry and, and where that's going to go. I mean, how do you how do you kind of wrestle with that? And and you know, is it just simply a fact that small and some media middle middle sized operators are just going to have a tough time in a market like Ontario? Well, but, you know, we've been kind of saying that from the beginning. I mean, the thing that you always have to remember is, unlike the states, Ontario was a gray market, and so you know, the AGCO had a really formidable task of trying to uproot all these well-established operators and get them to come in and get a license. Um, so instead of having a new market open while you're processing an application at a time, um, you're now basically doing the reverse and trying to get all the people who are already here to come in and get a license and get regulated and start paying taxes. So I think that's more of an uphill battle um, than than what you're seeing south of the border. Um, the hope with with Ontario was you were going to have, you know, a really, you know, hands off regulatory approach, which for the most part, AGCO has been, you know, notwithstanding the little hiccup with the the ad standards, um, you know, a low tax rate, you know, almost every product and services services legal to have offered here. Um, so it was an attractive market for these operators to come in and, you know, throw their hat into the ring. But there was no way that you know the 47 or wherever we're going to be at the end of the year number of operators in the market is sustainable long term 
um, as we've talked, you know, you can basically count on one hand the number of operators that probably have half of the market share. And that leaves like 40 odd operators all, you know, trying to compete with the bottom of the pile. And the problem when you're not, you know, having mass, you don't have massive advertising budgets or you're not able to spend as aggressively on customer acquisition or customer retention. You don't have a rewards program. Your welcome bonus isn't as aggressive. You know, your VIP um, host can't bonus, you know, existing customers the way some of the other operators can. What you're then doing is pretty much competing against that handful of operators who have not come in to get licensed, the black market operators who, you know, as we know, are are still accessing Ontario customers um, and are able to, you know, do so without any of the restrictions, the marketing, the inducement language restrictions, um, the bonusing restrictions that licensed operators have. So I, I I think it's going to be a lot of operators looking at maybe South America where, you know, it might be a, a you know, kinder, gentler operating environment. Right. Um, and they'll decide to do like CoolBet does, which was, you know, pull out of Ontario and launch kind of even further south in in all of, you know, North America. They'll, you know, so I I don't see how it will be a sustainable in, um, operation for some of those smaller operators uh, long term because those regulatory recovery fees hit annually. You know the mandatory, you know GGR the weekly GGR the mandatory audits that are all out of pocket money for operators. So I, I I do think a few of them will probably say you know this isn't this isn't sustainable for us long term. Chris, I just want to ask you. I mean, how you know as part of thought how much thought from these operators went into the fact that they expected Ontario would just be the first domino to fall in Canada and there would be other regulated markets and other provinces to follow fairly fairly quickly was do you think that was that's been part of thinking at all yeah I think it was it was part of the thinking I think more so though it was a test case for a lot of operators to see if they could then use their model in the United States um, as they went further I don't think that um, you know, as you as you move on to other provinces where the populations are a lot lower than they are in Ontario, uh, if you have the same number of competitors, it's maybe not as attractive. But uh, you know, for me, I think it's more of a test case for for a lot of folks to see if they could uh, translate their model into the U.S. And if I could, I, I just want to touch on a couple of things that that both Phil and Amanda said. Um, and I think you know my comments probably marry the two. But Phil had mentioned the the aggressive targets that were set by a lot of uh, brands coming in. Um, I've been privy to that in a couple of companies, and I think um, you know they may have overshot the runway with their business development teams in in some regards. And part of that, I I think, and this is just my take on it, is it's very expensive to do business in Canada and North America compared to what some European um, operators are used to doing where they have a lot of their staff in Bulgaria, in Latvia, right. in Cyprus, in Malta, which is, is a lot cheaper to operate in those places. So when you start um, paying Canadian salaries, um, when you start working in the Canadian dollar, which most of these companies operate in the euro, and uh, so the revenues are a little lower, um, just as the value of the Canadian dollar <laughs> keeps, keeps dropping as well. So there's there's plenty of plenty of things to consider um, when you're making that cultural 
kind of change. And, and that's another reason, you know, when you, when you see the focus on Latin America now that there's less regulation there, um, it's a little easier to operate those from Europe because it's still very soccer heavy and you don't have to really localize too much in terms of your offer when it comes to the sports side of things. Um, but the, again, the cost of acquisition is a lot lower in Latin America and in Europe, you know, when, when some of the CPA deals and, and rev share deals that, that have to get paid in Canada and the United States, then, you know, you'll often hear um, from, from headquarters, like, you know, this is really expensive. This is not what we pay in other markets. And, and it really, um, I think it's a little bit of a shock to the, to the regular process of operating and kind of the order of operations. So um, there's a lot of things to consider when you're, when you're coming from a kind of a, a different model into the new one that's been created here. Yes, Steve, hey, I, just, I, just what Chris said. I mean, and a, a lot of the books that came here, uh, you know, um, there, there's a model to the business that was based on, you know, on um, as Amanda was touching on uh, VIP clients, uh, what we call, um, you know, long-term uh, value clients and that. And that's not going to be accepted in regulated markets. And that's 50% of some of the book's business. Give, even given KYC regulations and verification of funds and that, you, you cannot sustain um, the model that some of the books came in here where 50% of their business is, is you know, let, let's call it, what is losers? I mean, <laughs> you know, people that people that lose long-term, even given verification of funds, which books have done for a long time and which, which we have done, you know, uh, books that I've been involved with. And it, you're seeing revenues go down. So it, they came in here with projections, you know, with, with 20, 25% market share, which is completely unrealistic. Going into Latin America, I mean, listening in yesterday on that podcast, Will that be, uh, you know, um, for lack of a better word, will it be allowed there? Will it change? You know, will, will it be uh, organic? And, and we'll see in Latin America what's happened somewhat in North America and certainly in Ontario, where um, that kind of model is not sustainable. Uh, be very interesting to see. Hey, man, just, uh, you know, putting on your Canadian Gaming Association hat, I mean, before you joined Kindred in the, the fall of uh, 2022, I'm, I'm sure you must have got questions or concerns from operators who were going to enter Ontario that there, there was maybe, as Chris points out, uh, more cost of doing business and may, maybe a bit of a misunderstanding that, that this market would be a little bit more expensive. Yeah, I mean, we've talked before about, you know, it might be a 20% tax rate, but when you start adding in all the other things that fall on top of it, you know, the real tax right. rate could be closer to 25, 26, 27, even 28%. Um, you know, there's also the issue on the iGaming Ontario side, which is we're almost at the two-year anniversary and we still don't have, I call it process improvements, but, you know, we don't have financial reporting tools, AML reporting tools, you know, the centralized self-exclusion as you point you um, reported today, Steve, there's going to be an RFP going up on Mercs in the early new year for an API-based solution for that. Um, so they're, they're a bit late offering all these tools. You know, you can ask um, almost any operator and they have more staff working on compliance in Ontario than they do almost any other jurisdiction in the world. So it's not even just, you know, the, the fees um, and, you know, for, for everything that you need to do to operate in the, in the market. It's like, did you realize you were going to need to have twice or three times the amount of staff working on Ontario as well? just to handle all the compliance requirements. Um, and that's a real cost as well. I know Paul has talked about doing a cost of compliance audit 
Um, and, you know, that might be something the government want, wants to pay attention to as well, because going back to, you know, it might all be happy days that it's a 20% tax rate, but you've been operating for a year and you're looking at your bottom line and you're realizing you're actually spending about 28% to be here, which is very high. And the last and I, thing I'll say too is the one thing that you had hoped with Ontario is it wouldn't just be a replica of the U.S. states where you've got DraftKings and FanDuel and BetMGM in there and there's barely any other choice for customers. So I hope that there is a way for Ontario to still have some of those really unique European brands here because you don't see them in the states. And I think there is space for them. But, you know, how that all shakes out, I think we'll see over the next year. Yeah, Chris, did you have something to add there? Yeah, I was trying to time my jump in, but uh, it's, it's hard to do virtually. Um, I, I, I would second uh, those things that Amanda just mentioned and the organizations I've worked with and consulted for. Um, it, it is a, it's a special case uh, for the Ontario market, and they do have to dedicate a lot of time and resources, not only on educating themselves, but on, on all the processes that need to be followed. So um, that, that again, that's that's just another in the con column when companies are deciding, well, is it is it really worth the squeeze? here um for some it will be and first for others it won't be um but yeah i've i've had that exact same experience hey man how much would it help to if you you know we saw uh regulated uh models come to come to alberta bc and, and quebec let's say is, is that something that makes it more attractive than for european operators to invest in canada certainly i mean the more um the more uh, jurisdictions you can be in, um, if you can access them from the same platform, if you can basically provide the same games across multiple jurisdictions, that certainly helps. I mean, it also goes down to what's the tax rate and how many operators are they limiting, are they tethering and all the rest of those things. But if you assume it's, you know, mostly the Ontario model that you see replicated in other provinces, then yeah, you do then be you're able to realize economies of scale with a lot of what you're you're doing. So that would be immensely helpful. But um, you know, as as you know, evidence has shown, um, nothing is going to happen quickly in Alberta, and even less quickly in Quebec and British Columbia. Right, right. Yeah, and I'll just mention on Quebec. I mean, we reported in Tuesday's newsletter that we're expecting the Quebec Online Gaming Coalition to come up with. Uh, results from a new survey this week. Um, I did reach out to the coalition's communications folks this morning, and, and, and didn't get I didn't get a response to my text. So um, I guess that means they're not quite ready to uh, not quite ready to release those results yet. And of course, when they will, we'll we'll report it in the newsletter. We'll, we'll also hoping to get Natalie Bergeron back on the, back on the Gaming News Canada show to talk about it as uh, as well. Um, Phil Gray, maybe start with you. I'd just like to spend a, a couple of minutes here. Um, we wrote in the newsletter about Robbery's uh, Q3 financial results yesterday, and and um, I don't know if the three of you had a chance to read uh, Scott Longley's uh, earnings and more newsletter this week, but I think the Monday morning newsletter kind of talked about the the, the, the death of, of esports betting, or, or certainly the uh, you know de- decline in esports betting, and. Um, I thought Stephen Saltz, the, the CEO of Rivalry, had a, a pretty smart response on LinkedIn this week where he, he didn't disagree with what Scott had to write, but did, you know, pointed out that um, esports betting, if to, to be a successful uh, betting and iGaming company, esports can only be a piece of the puzzle. And uh, I, I did have a chance to listen to Rivalry's earnings call yesterday and, 
and Stephen did talk a lot about uh, you know about the growth that they they've had in the online casino and the investment the rivalries made there, and also continuing to grow its sports betting business, and it, it is seeing some positive results in in Ontario. I mean. I, again, Phil, I think it, it just shows that it's, if you focus on one thing in this industry, it's probably going to be, you're probably going to experience an uphill climb. Yeah. Uh, uh, esports, I mean, w- uh, over the years, I mean, when it, when it first became, uh, you know, prevalent and, and out there in the betting industry, huge, huge in Europe, um, absolutely hurts, especially in play. I mean, you, it, and it's just, uh, it's always kind of boggled my mind what you could get on in-play offerings in European books for, for esports, you know, you bet on next kill and what weapon is <laughs> certain the next guy going to have and uh, things like that. So, but uh, always been a tough sell here in North America, Steve. I mean, we offered, um, you know, quite a wide range. We tried different uh, approaches in that and, and very little, very little interest. It, it's grown a little bit. Uh, it's still, it's still amazing to me how popular it is in Europe to the betting customer but in here in north america um it's always been a tough sell and then you have to go to uh you know are we going to a very interesting um article on linkedin i saw from a guy you know are you going to go to the mcdonald's menu uh on 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 some some offerings whereas you're going to offer a limited um amount which we tried and didn't work or are you going to go to the other end and you know you're going to offer 100 events on uh on on every event that's happening and try and gain your traction there still though uh yeah it's it's, it's in the news all the time and that but north americans as a, i mean uh, I'm, I'm sure chris will tell you this north americans uh, as a whole really don't have that much interest in esports betting chris yeah i mean so i i, I think something we shouldn't forget is the uh, the role of the pandemic in, in all of these things we're talking about. So um, during the pandemic, you certainly would have seen a an uptick in esports betting and anything else that was happening betting. If it was Russian table tennis that was being streamed from a room with Huge. one camera and a bunch Huge. of curtains. Right, yeah. Chris? Huge. <laughs> and still is. Has carried cool. over to this point. <laughs> so... You know, it's one of those things that it was available and people had more time on their hands and more money on their hands. At the same time, these companies saw growth and then they started hiring big and, and a lot of uh, companies had big expansion plans. And now that we're seeing a bit of a change in the economy, everyone's back at work, people have less time, people have less money. Um, now we're seeing contraction from from everywhere, right? And and that's affected just about everything. But yeah, I mean, I, and Phil, I agree. Like you cannot, you cannot, overstate the difference in the North American sports better versus the European sports better. In fact, you know, over here, we've got a lot fewer, I would say, and a lot sharper. Um, and that makes it hard to, to run a book with good margin. I mean, you know, you're seeing like two, three, 4% coming out of sports books sometimes in a month. And, and that makes it really hard um, when you want to be seven, eight, 10 or better. So there's, there's, um, and then, and then on the other side, on the on the esports thing, it's it's just the data and and who what's available and who's betting on it. Because um, I don't know that the pool is is as big as as it needs to be to really give a, a fair market. Yeah, and I, I ran into um, it was uh, two months ago. I ran into to um, a, a bit of a um, go to Ontario compliance and how strict they are. We ran into um, an issue with Ontario compliance and, and went back and forth with them over a, a three-week period of, geez, you know, 
few dozen emails and that over a Dota 2 offering that um, we had put up, unbeknownst to us that there was some suspected match fixing there. And uh, I, I, I'm not exaggerating. There was, you know, a few dozen emails. I went, I sat through an hour meeting on, um, uh, you know, a Dota 2 event. I think we had maybe over the period of a week, we had a, a few events up, maybe nine or 10 um, that uh, we got called out on by Ontario Compliance. And, you know, and these events, uh, you know, took, you know, a couple hundred bucks. Right. Hey, Amanda, as you, uh, you know, you mentioned once again at the, the primetime sports conference, uh, th- I guess three weeks ago now that you and I attended along with Nick and uh, Scott Woodgate from BetMGM, uh, you know, just a reminder to people that, that at the end of the day, it's, it's eye gaming that really drives, drives the boat, right? Yeah, we're, we are a casino first market and it is something that has been proven quarter and quarter and quarter again from iGaming Ontario. And I think that's just the nature of the Ontario customer. And that's nothing other than that's, you know, culturally how our customers, you know, enjoy spending their entertainment dollars. Um, A lot of, you know, when I was still working with Kindred, the Unibet customers, um, very slot driven, very table games driven. Um, and, you know, I know from listening to former colleagues talk, like you would look at customers in New Jersey who love their table game play and they'd go over to Philadelphia and they were mostly slot players. Um, so sports doesn't really figure in it really very much. And so, again, I go back to the, you know, European operators coming over where there were betting shops on every corner and, you know, they were betting on their version of football and the horse races. And that's just really not how, you know, how the market is here. You know, that's, that's not how the customers are using, you know, the products and the services here. So, you know, again, you, you really need to do your homework for new markets you're going into and you really have to either hire people or get your hands on some really good research or spend some time there just kind of figuring out where they like to, you know, spend their dollars. And in Ontario, it is definitely on the casino side. And that, that, that was the, that was the overestimation of the operators coming in here, Steve. Uh, and, and man is bang on. I mean, what, what sports betting, you know, the margins that, you know, and market share they were, they were predicting and, you know, and the revenue on sports betting was just, it was absolutely unrealistic compared to, you know, casino. Uh, it's just, it, yeah, just, just a thought there. Sorry. <laughs> it's all right. No, good. No, good stuff, Phil. Um, I'd like to, I want to wrap up the show. It's uh, again, we, it, it led to stateside stories of the newsletter that, that goes our, to our paid subscribers, but, uh, the news, uh, I guess Tuesday or Wednesday, about that Mark Mark Cuban, the owner of the Dallas Mavericks, was selling a majority stake in the, the NBA franchise to the the uh, Adelson family of of Las the Las Vegas Sands fame, and and um, really interesting quote from Chris Grove, who we all know in in the uh, on Twitter on Wednesday night about. Uh, you know, linking linking what the Adelson family is investing here, that there's a gambling angle to it because Cuban has been a very pro um, pro legalized betting in the state of Texas, and it sounds like the Adelsons would love to build a build a new arena in Dallas that would include a casino. Um, again, I think probably a story that didn't get as much oxygen up here in Canada, but that's kind of make you think about uh, maybe start with you, Chris. That you know. What eventually could we see Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment? But do they become, you know, given given their investment and in venues, does ca- ca- a casino become part of it or, or something 
bigger than that. And then you look, you know, Montreal, where um, a lot of Quebec did try to put some video video lottery terminals into the belt into the Bell Center, that and that got shot down by by Montreal Public Health um, earlier this uh, earlier this year. Um, it, it just makes you think that about uh, you know the viability of Canadian sports and entertainment enterprises in, investing in the gambling industry. Well, maybe this would have been a better question when you had your friends on from U.S. Integrity, um, because I do think that you you open yourself up to some scrutiny um, when you get involved there. But I mean, from a purely financial perspective, I would think that anybody would want to be involved in in the in the gambling industry. I'm pretty sure Donald Trump's the only guy that put a casino out of business. I think everyone else has done pretty well. Um, <laughs> it's it's you know so you'd be silly not to want to invest in it um the idea of owning uh, professional franchises and uh gambling outlets at the same time um yeah there's there's some some optics at play there but yeah certainly wouldn't surprise me and i'm sure it, uh, you know i don't know off the top of my head but i'm sure it already exists i mean i know the marulo group uh in arizona uh you know is, is one example so um wouldn't be shocking and and uh if there was a way to do it and, and keep the entity separate and and keep yourself out of the news um yeah why wouldn't you yeah amanda uh i absolutely agree with everything chris said phil phil you might have some thoughts on this being being in montreal these days yeah i mean chris said if you can keep yourself out of the news uh you know i i i'm i'm here in montreal i'm a long time resident in montreal I moved from toronto many many years ago and uh, i always find um um, the Quebec uh, mise au jus, the government here, the bureaucracy kind of um, interesting in the fact that, you know, they may, you know, you, you couldn't have a, VOT, a, a VLT at uh, the Bell Center, but you can certainly have one in a uh, bar in a low-income area with an ATM at the door. They're fine with that. So politics and uh, bureaucracy certainly comes into play in Quebec. And it'll be very interesting when... Uh, it, it certainly will happen at some point that uh, Quebec may go uh, the, the route of Ontario, but the challenges and complications here with um, how uh, things work will be very interesting. Yeah. I'll just mention, too, in Texas, I mean, Tillman Fertitta is the, the owner of the, the Houston Rockets. And again, uh, Fertitta, is, uh, his entertainment company does own the Golden Nugget Hotel and Casino. So... Uh, again, there's probably a little bit of momentum there to 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 push for for a legalized gambling uh, marketplace in in Texas. Let's wrap it up there. Uh, another another really good show this week. It's amazing how the hour hours flown by. But uh, I do want to thank uh, Matthew Holt again and um, Sebastian Yedrzejewski from uh, from U.S. Integrity. Uh, thanks to Amanda Brewer, as always, Phil Gray and, and Chris Abbott. Great to have you back here with us on LinkedIn Audio this week. So, might I just add, you know, you brought up the Fantasy Sports and Gaming Association, and just because, of course, the chairman of our board, Brandon Lechner, would would uh, would be upset with Matt and I if we didn't at least acknowledge that we have uh, we have our annual winter conference in Las Vegas, February thirteenth and fourteenth, right after the Super Bowl. So for anybody that really wants to get a, a get get a, get in a, in a room with some of the incredible operators and content producers and regulators within the fantasy sports and gaming association, because now our association extends into the world of sports betting and, and casino, um, you know the, the the conferences of the Cosmo. Um, if you go to uh, FS, if you if you 
if you uh, go to fsga.org, oh my God, I should know our website. Uh, I, I, but anyway, Fantasy Sports Gaming Association Conference is um, February 13th and 14th in Las Vegas. And it really is just an unbelievable time. No problem. Uh, no problem, Nick. Hey, Nick, I know you got to run shortly, but just quickly, um, we're messaging each other over the lunch hour. And, uh, you know, listen, c- congratulations. Uh, you, you've kind of done your own November fundraising thing. And, and um, by the end of the day today, you're going to run, I guess, about 270 kilometers and, and raising close to $70,000 for, for cancer, which is just uh just amazing. So really, really good on you. And as, as we say in the newsletter, you know, tip tip of the coho hockey twig to, to you. And the, the little backstory there um, is that um, when I announced that I was going to be running 200 kilometers to support our Point Canada team, uh, my old business partner and friend um, from, from my Monkey Night Fight days uh, didn't think that I would be able to run 200 kilometers. But what he did out of the, the graciousness of his heart um, and his also, his desire to also both challenge me and to help raise money for cancer is he pledged $1,000 for every kilometer I ran over 200. So I decided um, a couple weeks ago because well, I am a teenage boy at heart that my target was gonna be 269 kilometers. So my, my old business partner and friend could, could write a check for $69,000. And, and help the, you know, the important fight of, of cancer, which is some of you know I've been fighting for almost 15 years now. That's uh, Nick Solsky, the Chief Commercial Officer of Points Bet Canada. And Nick, I don't care what Chris Abbott continues to say about you. You're, you're a fine person. Ah, well, thank you, Steve. And Chris, I love you too, man. Have a great day, everybody. <laughs> uh, again, as everybody knows, we uh, will we'll take this show, produce a podcast out of it, which appears on um, various podcast platforms no later than, than Monday morning. Appreciate everybody who took the time to listen today. Uh, please enjoy the rest of your week and uh, stay safe. Thank you for listening to the Gaming News Canada show. Sign up for our newsletter at gamingnewscanada.ca. Follow Steve McAllister on LinkedIn to join the live audience. Message Steve if you're interested in being a sponsor or featured guest.